0: Welcome back, this is Mark Steiner, and that's the great Mississippi John Hurt, born on this day, July the 3rd in 1893, singing his great Creole Bill. First time I saw Mississippi John Hurt, Newport Folk Festival, uh, rediscovered by the nation, one of the great original blues singers of all time, Mississippi John Hurt. And now, the rest of our day in history. On this day in 1761, on July the 3rd, the Northwest Confederacy was created in what is now near Detroit, Well, actually was a fort back then. This is an organization that consisted of a number of Indian nations, the Delaware, the Miami, the Ojibwe, Ottawa, Potawatomi, Shawnee, Wyandot, and they were brought together by a man named Tecumseh. He put together this confederacy to take on the Americans. Uh, he was seen as a great prophet and leader of Native people and wanted to unite tribes uh, to take on the Americans uh, and created later this was called the Tecumseh's War, uh, and um Fought it during the War of 1812 and, and before uh, to save the land of his people. The Northwest then meant around Indiana, Michigan, in that area. This ha- that happened on this day in 1761. And on this day in 1835, there was a huge strike done by children. And we're talking about little children, 8 to 15 years old and younger. Went on strike for an 11 hour day and a 6 day week. And they compromised for a 69 hour week. Uh, and this happened in the silk mills in Patterson, New Jersey in 1835. On this day in 1844, you know, we exterminate species right and left. We're threatening that right now in the world. And there was a species of incredible birds called the ox, the great ox, these huge, flightless bird. But on this day in 1844, that was the day that we killed the last pair of great ox on this planet. This is the day in 1848 that slaves were freed after their struggle in what's the Danish West Indies, which is now the U.S. Virgin Islands. This took place in 1848, way before the American Civil War. Speaking of the American Civil War, on this day in 1863, the last battle, the Battle of Gettysburg, culminates in Pickett's Charge on this day. And in 1913 on this day, Confederate soldiers, veterans uh, at the Great Union of 1913 reenacted Pickett's Charge when they got to the top of the hill all these Union veterans were there to greet them and with outstretched hands and friendship uh, from Union survivors of that battle. And, of course, that was mostly a white event, even though black troops fought in it. And uh, on this day uh, in history, uh, as well, this was the day that uh, in 1962 that Algeria became independent on this day. Uh, Charles de Gaulle, after the battle for independence of the Algerians, finally said enough and they gained independence on this day in uh, 1962. Two. And on this day in 2005, same-sex marriage becomes legal in Spain. So a lot happened on this day, and and we won't go through all of it right now. I want to encourage you all to go to steinershow.org uh, and go there and check on all the wonderful things and interesting things that happened on this day in history on July the 3rd. We'll be right back. Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner right here on The Mark Steiner Show and your source for cool jazz and more, W E A A. FM, the voice of the community. Now, we're dipping into our archives once again for the show all day today. This next piece is from a friend of The Steiner Show, Winona LaDuke. We bring you her lecture that she did at the Center for a Livable Future back in 2012, where she speaks on food sovereignty, biopiracy, and the future. Winona LaDuke is founder and director of Honor the Earth and the White Earth Land Recovery Project. She's a Native American activist, environmentalist, economist, and writer. So you'll enjoy this powerful and informative conversation with Winona LaDuke. We're here at the Center for a Future. I'm Mark Steiner for the Center for a Future. And for uh, the Mark Steiner, Center, Center for Emerging Media, working together here, we're about to talk with Winona LaDuke, who's visiting us here in Baltimore. Uh, she is one of the uh, sages and leaders of uh, the movement uh, for social change, for indigenous rights, for making us all eat better for thinking about who we are as a people I've written many books and a lot going into all that one known it's lovely to meet you
1: Good to thank you. you thanks for having me miigwetch so uh,
0: one of the things that i i, I thought about is i uh, was thinking about your coming here today was wild rice because it's in a lot of the interviews you've done articles i've seen you write the world you grew up in how your parents met it's all built around wild rice
1: does that is true <laughs> yeah so uh Manomen, that's what we call it. It means kind Monoma. of manomen. It means like wondrous uh, or spirit food, spirit grain, you know. And it's the only uh, grain indigenous to North America. Uh, the old the old only grain. Yeah, so the wheat, all those guys come from someplace else. This is, this is it. It's a grass, uh, and it grows on lakes and rivers. And it was a lot more dominant in the northern ecosystems, but with the advent of bad agricultural planning and draining of such things and water diversion projects. We lost a lot of it. But yes, it's very significant in our community. Our people, um, the Anishinaabeg, started out here on the East Coast. We were instructed uh, by our prophets to follow a shell which appeared in the sky to the place where the food grows on the water. And so that is uh, the significance. It's part of our migration story and our most spiritual food, arguably. It's essential
0: story to everything.
1: It is. Wild rice is the first food a baby has, and it is also the last food, usually. That, and it is served at our feasts and our ceremonies. And uh, you're right. I am actually a, a here because of wild rice. Right. <laughs> My father is from the White Earth Reservation in northern Minnesota, as you may gather, since that's where I live. And he, uh, interesting man, he passed away a number of years ago. White bear, right? uh, Sun bear. Sun sun bear. 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 Yeah, Vincent LeDuc. Right. Um, And he uh, left the reservation kind of, I'm not going to say to seek his fortune, but to go off. And he hitchhiked across the country. I was looking at some old pictures of the guy. He had like a full-on headdress and a sign that said, have blanket, we'll travel. (laughs) I did not. He hitchhiked across the country. (laughs) to New York City with wild rice, and he uh, became a fine purveyor of wild rice, at which point he met my mother, who is a first-generation Russian Jew and is an artist, and she's still an amazing artist. Her name's Betty LaDuke, and she had just come back from mural painting in Mexico uh, for about three years and uh, was living in New York again and painting. And he met my mother, and they uh, hit it off quite well, as you can see I'm here.
0: Here you are.
1: <laughs> but he was selling wild rice. And she was like, what is this? You know. And uh, then they ran off, and uh, he became an extra in the Westerns. And I was born in East L.A., raised in a small town in southern Oregon, and then moved home in after In Ashland, right? In Ashland, that is yeah. right. And then I moved home to my reservation after I graduated from college. In 1981.
0: Not just any college, but Harvard. Which is right. When
1: I graduated from Harvard in 1981, I returned and have lived there since. That's about, uh, we'll go 30? 30, so 30
0: years. One of the things that... Um, rice, talk, uh, on wild rice. Working on rice. Yeah. Wild rice. And so, But one of the things about, well, that also hit me about wild rice and your life and the res that you live on is that it's also the story of biodiversity, industrialization, the destruction of wild rice, and you and other people's battle to reclaim it.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I'm going to say I took it for granted that there will always be wild rice. And then I got this knock on the head one day from the University of Minnesota, which was trying to genetically, uh, you know, it, it crack the DNA sequence of wild rice. And they wanted to, the right to genetically engineer it. And, you know, I, you know, have some knowledge of these issues. And I was like, well, that makes no sense. The word wild rice should not be associated with the words genetic engineering. and It's no longer wild, you know. And so I got this, like, wake-up call. Around 2001, some of my elders, they knock on my door. They said, Winona, we gotta, we got to go take a look at this, you know. And they know I'm a good talker and I can go down there and I'm not afraid pretty much, you know. And plus I got bigger cousins that are scarier than me, way <laughs> scarier. So I was like, you know, well, go, let's go. And so began, you know, about a seven-year battle with the U on their right to genetically engineer wild rice. And, um, you know, which they, they talk a lot about academic freedom, as do most universities, but there should be an equal amount of academic responsibility. And, uh, you know, that, that, that is not right. You cannot genetically engineer something because you will release it into the wild. And yet, right. you know, get 60,000 acres of lakes and rivers full of rice and it would get contaminated. So I went back and forth with their studies and they, you know, I call it little ladying you. You go sit there in a meeting and they'd, they would say, it would act, they would act as if they spoke louder or said it more simply that I would change my opinion. You know, or that somehow I would evolve and that genetically engineered foods would become acceptable to me. You know, and that whole idea is, is not only arrogant, it's kind of baffling that someone would not have the common sense to realize that they may not actually be right. You may not actually agree with them you know and so we went back and forth and we, they talked about their studies on wind drift and pollination and and I said you know at one point I said to him musk plant at the university as a dean the agriculture school and so I said what about the ducks where's your study on ducks that's who moves rice is ducks you know you got you're going to control the ducks and the geese what's your plan on that you know and they looked at me like some poor lost soul and <laughs> and uh but in the end you know we do not have any genetically engineered wild rice we have the youth still thinking about things but i think you know we'll we'll see how it goes i'm i'm pretty confident that it will not work out
0: one of the things you, you said once in one place you spoke that you wrote about was that
1: how do you know all this about me I read a lot. <laughs> okay. All right. I've what did, what all your, did I say? I read
0: your books as well.
1: Oh, so, really? Okay. So tell. So um, what I said someplace? You said it was. It had to do with
0: the, the the what happened in Ireland and with the monoculture destroying the people and the potato that actually came from you in the first place yeah. from native people in Ireland. But that um, what did they eat before that? I can't quite figure out. But they had these potatoes, and they and we they, gave them the potatoes. They gave, so they the, gave indigenous, the, the indigenous
1: people. They gave, they gave them the potatoes.
0: Yeah. But you, you talk about the, the the wild the wide variety of wild rice, and and how that you have to really be, is this guy, what's his name that you what about Spud Finley Fine day Spud Finley that's Finley who goes out he's and still in this rice, world yes right? yes and so but it's the it's that this huge diversity of wild rice that is a, all part of what it seems to be the work you've been doing in in um, trying to bring the res and other people back to the foods that were eaten historically, Mm -hmm. that battle you're making.
1: Yeah. I mean, our community is actually, you know, in the spectrum of where things are at, we're not in that bad of shape. We have a very strong subsistence economy. Uh, there's a push, you know, that is to say we, you know, right now we're planning for our gardens, um, and subsistence may not be, I don't know if, I don't like the term subsistence. We have a, we have a land-based economy that is healthy, that is indigenous. Um, in that, you know, right now we're planning for our gardens. Um, people are going out to start picking medicinal plants here, mushrooms. Um, the berries come in. Um, our moon of, in June is, is called Oday strawberry moon. Then Mean Gizis as our blueberry moon comes Gizis after. Gizus means me. moon. Yeah, yeah. And that mean word, um or Min, is the seed, which is the same thing as Manomen or wild rice. It's the same. Uh, and Mandamin is corn. That min is it end, Just for your little Ojibwe lesson, uh, thank but you. <laughs> <laughs> that's in there. And then uh, so uh, and then uh, we have you know, uh, I suppose about uh, middle of May, first two weeks of June, we got fiddleheads, fiddlehead ferns, mm-hmm. you know, high end things. You get you know if you go Whole Foods, I don't know, if you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. we we have that, you know. And so we have this wealth of an economy. Plus, right now they're spear and fish, you know. And and so. We still have a lot of those foods, but what happens is um, colonization process, where people are, um, um, where the laws make it illegal to harvest, private property signs go up, people start putting pesticides out, you know, uh, pesticide drift, Uh, these kind of things have an effect on us. Then you you know you don't there's there's this lack of uh, recognition for who we are and our way of life. You know it's obviously been a point of contention for many years that we shouldn't be able to do this. And even with wild rice, the idea that we should have such a great harvest really upset the University of Minnesota. You know, they had to go domesticate things. So, <laughs> you know, having said that, we have that. Um, but what happens is is that this process and then now increasingly the, the push in of the cash economy, uh, where people become increasingly addicted to the need for cash, those issues Affect us so a lot of the work we're trying to do is to is to um, figure out how to diminish the need for cash, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's through fuel poverty, addressing those issues, or externalizing your food economy, so that people can restore this local food way of life and this way of life and be healthy. Uh, that's kind of our integrated approach. I don't know if you're following me on this, yeah, but yeah, um, that's the the, the the piece we're after. And we, and we got a good place to start from. We aren't scratching. You know, our, our, we're wealthy. We are wealthy. You know, I, I could be busy all the time with this, you know, and I am pretty you busy are. with it. I like it, though. You know, it's good. And my, and my grandkids, I have grandkids now, and they putz around with me. and
0: <laughs> Another good of word.
1: Putz, 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 <laughs> right, putz, putz. So, so, I slept my shmatos too. Do you like that? I thought yes, you'd like okay, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. so, <laughs> it's okay. be, my Yiddish is not as good as my uh, uh Nishinabe. I like it, it's yeah, a very good, mix. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 so that the,
0: the, but it's also that there's this wealth of thousands of years of seeds and plants and food that you and others are reclaiming around the country that you're saying we're gonna find the way that what we grew before, and it's going to happen again.
1: And, and it has broader implications. I mean, you mentioned the you know, the Irish potato famine, the, the creation of a monoculture, agricultural monoculture. I mean, it's widespread in this country, and you've got an unsustainable food system, uh, you know, of a bunch of monocrops that they now want to genetically engineer because they've got one, you know, pest after another because everything's becoming resistant and their topsoil is diminishing and it's all... You know, everything's ending up at the bottom of the Mississippi and the delta, right? right. right? So that is really not a long-term plan. Right. And That's 50 years of really bad ideas. Uh, you know, the question and the answer is not. You know, the the scientific paradigm would say that the answer is to continue down that trajectory. What we would say is is that there's this other path, which is this green path, which is you you discard the bad ideas, you keep a few good things in there. Like I like the solar panels, and you got to you know some of them Amish tools you know a few other fabulous things you keep those things and you probably have to keep a few other things and then you go back and you restore biodiversity and agrobiodiversity cuz that's your answer um, you know if you want to talk about resilience in from pesticides you know or resilience from pests if they're called pests or insects whatever they're called you know sometimes mm-hmm. they just need to share of the food too exactly you got to just <laughs> own up that not you don't get everything right but if you if you have the diversity then you have a better a better shot at it and um, you know that 's the wisdom, and that also keeps your soil that rotation, all of that. so you know what we 're looking at doing we 're going to restoring these really old varieties of corn, this really cool squash i 'm going to talk about later today eight hundred year old seeds Oh,
0: I read about this
1: right yes. right, and I ate some I ate some two days ago, I served uh-huh. it for the Passover dinner at our house. Ah, Did you like that? Yeah, I like, yeah. That. I like that. We, We're holiday opportunists in our family. Yeah. That's what my, my kids say. <laughs> we do. We have, uh, Passover, Easter. We do. Fourth of July, I'm not big on. I just have to admit that. Oh, one. But I like bro. blowing up stuff. <laughs> right. My kids do. But anyway, um, yeah, 800-year-old squash, very good. And uh, those guys are climate change resilient. They were adapted for microclimates, for the soil. They're tough guys. But, you know, you have to be mindful with them. You don't just throw your seeds out. You you know talk to them, and you um, you know it's it's a little bit of mindful practice. But that's this whole restoration of who we are and how we become better people. Because if you you know you have to be related to your food, Mm -hmm. and or related to the earth, and that process of gardening and harvesting and growing and is is. Is part of how we do that and become better humans. And
0: part of what I've seen you, heard you say before is, when you do, kind of reflect on what you just said, is that you have this philosophy of how we have to how this right decolonize ourselves. Yeah. Right.
1: Absolutely. I mean, in terms of, you know, the native community. You know, when I started, um, I was raised well. You know, people always say you know we were raised on a lot of traditional foods, but that also we everything from scratch. You know, and that comes from both sides of my family. Nobody, you know, it was like nobody was on, on the buying box foods program, you know. And so, I mean, I, that's my only, that's my frame of reference. I don't have a, you know, I don't have a frame of reference besides that. But that process of colonization, you know, in, in the Native community was one we ended up with commodity foods from the USDA. And then you ended up, if you wanted to be like white people, you ate their food. Really, and so people would say, "It makes me feel poor when I eat deer meat." I heard a young woman say that to me. I don't like feeling poor. I feel poor when I eat deer have meat. Rather
0: fried bread, which is
1: right, which is there. That's a perfect example. <laughs> right, but that and that's but that's an American thing too. Is this that you know Americans now eat out, and they eat at McDonald's, and the idea we're too busy to garden. I can't garden, you know. I can't cook. That's all a bunch of marketing that happened after World War II you know, to get women, you know, to to build an agricultural system that, you know, an industrial food system. And and so we became dependent, all of us. And now we are entirely dependent, almost entirely dependent. And it is looked at like you're like a back to the land or there's this whole like marginalization Mm -hmm. that occurs of people who garden or people who grow their own food or harvest it instead of, you know, figuring out that what we really need to do is to restore that. And not everybody should be tromping around the woods, though. You know, some people should just not. It's like, don't give me, don't get me torque and bolts on a wind turbine. That's not, that's not me. But, you know, th- you, then supporting those hole. local economies, huh? Yeah, give, give me a hoe. That's, like, right? that's what my kids say. It's like, I always, that's what I tell those young kids in the schools, those teenagers. I say, we're going hoeing now. Let's go hoeing. And they all look at me. I said, no, a hoe uh, is a farming implement, you know? But it's always, it's always fodder for good conversation that, you know?
0: <laughs> you, you've run you ran twice as vice twice president twice for right? vice president on the green ticket with Ralph Nader that is right he's a good old friend of mine yeah a, a and, great uh, soul he's a, great, he's a good soul yes very interesting guy very honest human being mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, and then you decided I was thinking about this last night then you decided to, to endorse Kerry and, and then endorse President Barack Obama who became President Barack Obama mm-hmm. and who knows what you do in 2012 but, um, but I was thinking about this and and yeah, the books you've written, uh, the, 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 the covering the sacred and other things you've written, um, it feels like your. It's not how people some some people's politics, or their ideology defines who they are, who they are, but it feels like your life and work and spirituality define your politics, at, rather than the other way around.
1: Yeah, I mean, which seems, to make sense to me. I mean, I I don't you know I never really quite could fit into any box. And I'm probably not going there anytime soon. <laughs> you know? I, and I, I'm not sure it's healthy to be in a box. You know, I think that's part of our problem is, is that we feel comfy and cozy in whatever it is of social group or, you know, economic class or, you know, and, uh, and perception of who we are. And, and I think that that's, you know, probably not. Not So for, you know, what, what, you know, change is made in a lot of ways. You know, you make change by growing different food, you make change by, you know, peddling consciousness make change by battling, you know, corporations and uh, down, you know, one of my girlfriends battling them into bankruptcy. I mean, we've done that a few times, you know. Uh, or, you know, uh, putting up wind turbines or, you know, whatever. All well, the um, things
0: you've done on, the, on your arrest. Mm-hmm,
1: on mm-hmm. The that's left. what, you know, that's what, that's what we do. And then and then also, you know, I think one of the most precious uh, things to do, and I, f- I feel privileged to be a part of this, is to, I, w- I want to say to, to give people hope, to say, look, you know, if those guys could do it. Look, they don't really got a lot going on. They got all kinds of messed up statistics in their community, but look what they did, you know, because we don't have, according to a lot of people, we don't have anything going for us. But my community, we got a lot of smart people. We got a lot of wild rice. We got a lot of wind, you know, and and we actually know who we are, which is more than, you know, more than a lot. And that is something to, and, and, and then we actually do it. You know, we don't just talk about it, we do it. And, and when these young people come to me, you know, and they say, hey, how'd you do that? Or can I, can I work on one of them solar things, Ms. LaDuke? I'm like, yeah, yeah, come on over. Let's figure it out. This, this summer we're going to do one. I'm going to do some, we did some regular solar panels, but, you know, we really don't have any money, so I'm going back to this idea of, I think it was 57 aluminum cans for a solar thermal panel for the back of a house. Is 57 or 87? We did this before. Uh-huh. You know, you line them up, and then you just make this thermal thing. With it's reusing materials. I'm going to try a couple of those this year. You haven't done it yet. I did it before, it and worked. it worked fine. And and I think it's still operational. I was going to go, it is still operational. I've done these, you know, more expensive ones, $1,000. Well, yeah, that yeah, one's yeah. about 300 or 200 So I'm going to try a few of those this summer and um, see how that goes, because you can involve kids it's in that. And There's a guy I interviewed not long ago, Henry Red Cloud. Yeah. Good friend of mine. Yeah, he was doing all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, and he has the model, and he has it there. And if I could capitalize us, we would do the similar thing. But this year, I think I'm going to just do some trainings with this other and see what I got.
0: I know we've got, we got our own moves to the next thing, but one final thing I was thinking about was that here you have the United States of America and all the industrialization has taken place. People moved off their land into reservations more than half, I guess, of indigenous people not live in cities but people aren't these res that are kind of like rural ghettos in a lot of ways that were created that way but something is afoot that there's a, there seems to me there's a kind of a new power growing out of the res world in different parts of our country whether it's people in Wind River or in Rosebud or in, your, in Minnesota where you live and other places that's coming it's it's, it's 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 I'm trying how to put this right. This like this this amalgam marriage, this this meeting of these worlds that's creating something brand new out of something very old that in some ways has something new to teach if people will open their ears. I'm not talking about all this kind of woo-woo spiritual stuff. I'm talking about something much more fundamental. Do
1: you yeah, feel that? I mean, I, I, of course I do. I mean, and I think that a lot of people despair at globalization, you know, and um. You know, I, I do my share of that, too. But you know what? It's is like a globalized economy is predicated on access to cheap oil. Turns out that's not the future. Right. You know, and so Walmart can ship those shrimp in from, from uh, in Vietnam, China right. or Vietnam for the next little bit. But that's not going to be happening in 10 years. So somebody better be figuring out how to eat here and where that protein is going to come from. And, and so, you know, there's these grandiose ideas of empire. And they're there. You know, they still got it. They got their plan on it. But I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that's not going to work out. And I don't even care. I'm going to work on this one because uh, that's not, you know. And so I think that in our community and, and in others, this other way, this Deb way, Mekina, this real path, you know, is uh, in, in doing that, you know, it, it, we remember who we are. And we're better people for it. And we realize that, you know, we learn some things. And we take those skills, like you know, those Danes from Lowland, that island of Lowland, They got some darn good wind turbines. You know, we wouldn't have got that one. You know, and my great 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 grandfather over in Poland had a wind turbine. or He had a wind powered grist mill. You know, and so I think about that sometimes. I told my mom, I said, I think I'm trying to work his stuff out back <laughs> over here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Is that we didn't have that. Yeah. But there's, but there, that was a, that's a good technology, and how you adapt it in this millennium. To make some place where, you know, my friend Mike Wiggins, he's travel chair of this reservation. He says, he says, seems like people don't want to live another thousand years. You know? And I said, hmm. I said, someone better be thinking about how we're going to live the next round. You know? And that's said, I think we're doing. Well,
0: thank you so much. You bet. Thank
1: you.